one of my absolute favorite birthday presents that I ever received from my family was the chance to see David Copperfield in person. And he was just one of my, and still kind of is, one of my heroes because I just love illusions. I love magic tricks. If you'll let me use the word magic in that way, you know, these sleight of hands, card tricks, illusions. And, and if you're a child of the 80s and 90s, uh, like I am, you remember watching the, the specials that he would do on TV. I remember watching one time as he made uh, the Statue of Liberty disappear on television. I mean, it was like such a cool thing. And so seeing David Copperfield live and in person was just so amazing. And of course, David Copperfield would never remember, but, but I will never forget seeing him live. I even got to shake his hand. You know, how cool was that? And during the show, you know, he had all these amazing you know, tricks and illusions that he was doing. And one of them was a really cool one that involved a motorcycle. And everybody's attention is focused on the stage as he comes onto the stage and he's wearing his, you know, cool white shirt and, you know, crisp and clean driving his this loud motorcycle on the stage. And they, uh, the assistants come up to him with the sheet, you know, and they cover him in the sheet and they shake it up and down, lift it up and down a few times and on one, two, and then three, it goes down and he disappears. And then in the back of the auditorium, you hear the motorcycle engine rev and you turn around and there he is in the back of the auditorium driving the motorcycle and you're just mystified how did he do that right well I, i'm a i'm a, a curious child right at the time i was always a curious child had all these questions and all these stories and all these wonderments right and so me while this is going on everyone else is distracted right the 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 goal of a, of a good illusion right is that you you have the audience looking one way while you're doing something in a different location right and so the the audience is supposed to be looking at the stage but i'm a young kid i'm looking around the auditorium and so i see movement in the back and so of course i turn around and i watch them set up all the mirrors to make it look like he's in the, um, he's in the front, but he's really in the back the whole time. And that trick was just so well done. It was so polished. It was so smooth. It was so great. You know, I enjoyed watching. It was so entertaining, even though I knew the secret. And even today, I love that stuff. I love watching illusions and magic tricks. And it just reminds me of how wonderful that entertainment is. But of course, I'm a skeptic. Ever since my childhood and I saw that happen, I became a skeptic that wanted to know how the trick was done. Because you see, we end up living in this world where so many things are kind of thrown out the window. We live in a world where, you know, we, we look at the supernatural and it's just, it's just all a trick. It's all got to be an illusion. There's no such thing as the miraculous. There's no such thing as the supernatural in real life. And, and of course, look at all the things we have to debunk it, right? We have CGI on our computers that we listen to, we, you know, watch you know, on TV, and we, we have, you know, all of these shows where ghost hunters go into haunted houses and look for, you know, this, these, all of these, you know, supernatural spectral trails and things like that. It's just all of these things we've got, uh, you know, all these things that make us convinced that the supernatural is not real. It's all just a fake. It's all just a sham. And then, of course, the church, the church doesn't help with this, right? 
the church is terribly guilty, especially in this day and age, of taking advantage of people. That you've got faith healers, quote-unquote, you know, that are taking advantage of people's blind faith and their desire so much to come in and get there and get a healing and get a miracle. And what we know from, and I'm not going to name names, but you can Google search and you probably even know of some that are fakes. And they put plants in the audience, you know, people that are not really sick, not really disabled, not really who have a, really don't have an ailment. And they come up on the stage pretending to have this problem. And then the faith healer heals them and they leave well. And because those things have been exposed as fakes and frauds, even in the church, we don't believe in the miraculous. We don't believe in the supernatural. And so if we're not careful, man, we can retreat to one of two extremes. On the one extreme is blind faith. These are the people that flock to these faith healings, hoping that, that they're going to get it. They just have this blind belief that if somebody says they're a healer, if somebody says that they can perform miracles, they just believe them, right? And as a child, it's okay to, to have that blind faith and that wonderment of a child. But as we grow up and we mature and we begin to understand the way of the world, it's very important for us to realize that we can't have a blind faith. It's actually unhealthy to have a blind faith. That's how you get taken advantage of. That's how you get duped. That's how you get tricked, right? And and if you watch some of this, uh, you know, uh, television, Christian programming, they tell you things like sowing seeds into ministries. And if you want your healing, then you need to give a thousand dollars to our ministry and, and God will, will see, you know, how devoted you are to him through it. He'll give you your miracle, right? Or they'll send you blessed water from the Jordan River that will give you your healing. And, and I can tell you from personal experience, um, the water in the Jordan River, there's nothing really special about it. It's actually really dirty. <laughs> um, and when I was in the Middle East and I saw the Jordan River, I drank some, and for the next three days, the medical people that were with me were just watching me like a hawk because they were convinced I was going to get sick. Why? Because that Jordan River water, it's not it's something that normally gives you healing, right? But with this blind faith, believes in these things. But man, we can also swing the pendulum way the other way and have this incredible cynicism that believes that none of it is possible. A good example of the of, of this is, you know, some of these conspiracy theorists. I, I love listening to conspiracy theorists talk about certain things. That's you know, one of my favorite ones is people that believe that the moon landing was staged. That it, you know, didn't really happen. That we used the, the miracles, quote unquote, of modern television. That we used computers and cameras and CGI and blue screen or green screen and all this kind of stuff to make it look like we landed on the moon when we really didn't. And it's just a, sh a sham of the government to use you know, billions and billions of dollars, right? And so we have this, these people that are just absolute cynics and there's no way the supernatural is possible. It's all fake, it's all a sham, it's all something to get your money. And famously, you know, I think of this and I think of guys like Thomas Jefferson. If, if you don't know this, you know, that, that if you've ever seen a Jeffersonian Bible, it's missing the miracles and the supernatural events in the scripture. Thomas Jefferson took, you know, famously took, um, you know, a, a scissors and cut out all of the miracles in his Bible. And as a result, the Jeffersonian Bible has all of the, the scripture except for anything supernatural, specifically the ministry and the miracles of Jesus that were supernatural, right? And so we have these cynics out there 
And some of them have a reason to be, because we've talked about these fakes, right? But one of the things that's happened is we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Just because there are those people out there that are fakes doesn't mean it's all fake. Just because there are people out there who are shams using, you know, supernatural things to make money or make television shows or, you know, to, to get people to come to their healing services and to boost their fame and their fortune does not mean we have to, to get rid of all of it. Instead, I want to encourage us today to find that middle ground. And we're starting a series with this is the first part of called Suspicious of the Supernatural that we are, we're suspicious of the supernatural. When people talk about the miraculous, when people talk about faith healings and, and God doing you know, things that just cannot be explained by science or modern medicine, that, that we just are so suspicious of that. And I would argue that we have good reason to be. But I want to encourage you that we don't want to go to either extreme. We don't want to go to the extreme of blind faith, but we also don't want to go to the extreme of cynicism. And today I want to encourage you, and we're going to look at how do we start skeptically? How do we find a healthy skepticism? Like as a child, I began to realize that because there is an answer to a lot of these illusions, I want to find the answer. I want to look at the evidence. I want to see how to prove, is this fake or is this real? And so we're going to do the same thing today because here's a few things that we need to wrap our mind around as we begin to lay a foundation for this. We don't want to drift over into blind faith. We don't want to drift over into cynicism. We want to find this healthy ground of middle ground of skepticism. But there are some things that we need to take note of as we lay this foundation. First, we need to define the word supernatural. When I talk about the word supernatural, I mean exactly literally what the word means. Super means greater than the ordinary, outside of the normal, right? Something super, like Superman, right? If something is super, it is greater than normal, above normal, outside of the, the, the normal way things operate. And then natural, the natural is the normal operating system of the world, like gravity, right? If I were to toss a rock up into the air, the natural order of things means that what goes up must come down. That's how gravity works. If I were to toss a rock up into the air and it not come down, it would just hover. That would be supernatural. It would be outside of the natural order of things. Okay? So when I talk about supernatural, for the purpose of this series, we're not talking about hocus pocus. We're not talking about ghosts and goblins. We're not talking about anything super spectral. Like We're talking about the miraculous. When things happen outside the natural order of things. The second thing we need to make sure that we bring into this conversation is the fact that the Bible affirms that super and natural events actually took place. They actually happened. The Bible attests that the Red Sea was parted for Israel to cross. And not just that the waters were parted, the second miracle that happened was that they walked on dry ground. They walked on dry ground. The second thing that we need to make sure is, is that, you know, that the Bible attests to these things. If, it, if we're wrong, then so much of the Bible is a lie. That Jesus really didn't perform miracles. That God really didn't do the, the miraculous. That there's, you know, that there, this never really happened. 
And there are people that say that. There are people in the church today that say, you know what, there's a scientific explanation for all of these things. You know, they look at the, the plagues of Egypt and they say, well, see, you know, it was perfectly common for, um, you know, typhoons and, 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 you know, water cyclones to, to raise up on, you know, in that area. And they would pick up all of these frogs, you know, in that process, these water spouts that would just build up you know naturally and they would drop the frogs down so people said see it's it's raining frogs right that it's perfectly natural for locusts to come and eat crops during that time that it's perfectly natural for eclipses to happen so there was darkness i mean things like that but they try to scientifically explain some of this away and there is a half truth to that right but as my mom would so often tell me a half truth is me leads to a whole lie half-truth is a whole lie. The half-truth of this is that there have been examples in the past where when we could not explain the way of the world, we attributed it to something supernatural. And we now know scientifically that it's, it's explainable, right? We, we, when generations passed, before we understood that the, the earth rotated and evolved around the sun, we would see that the sun rise in the east and set in the west and we would say oh well there must be a god that hitches their horse and chariot to the sun and drags it across the sky every single day but now we know that the sun is the center of the universe and that we the earth rotates right and we rotate and revolve around the sun we used to not understand why plagues or droughts would happen and so they would say oh there must be some god in charge of the rain or that or some god that was unhappy with us and brought this plague and so they would offer a sacrifice to that god that is a truth that's it but it's a half truth that just because some of that happened doesn't mean we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. and the lie is that everything that's unexplainable now will be explainable in the future and so we don't want to fall into the trap that Thomas Jefferson did of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying that because a lot of things have been explained, doesn't mean that there is no room for the supernatural in our lives. Because here's the thing, the Bible affirms it, but Jesus' ministry was full of it. Jesus actually pointed to his miracles as, an, as the proof that he was the Messiah proof that he was who he said he was every time you know that, that that he would perform a miracle i remember one time uh in the ministry of jesus where he he performed a miracle on the sabbath and they went to pick up stones to kill him and he said what are you stoning me for what what you know, are you stoning me for the miracles i'm doing and they're saying no we're not stoning you for the miracle we're stoning you because you did it on the sabbath that even the religious leaders recognized this was supernatural you see, the Bible, and we forget this because we've read the Bible for so long, we forget that the Bible is an eyewitness testimony to events of history, especially the New Testament. No historian worth their salt denies the writings of Paul. They believe that, that Paul is the greatest evidence we have to the New Testament. Because we have all of this, not just biblical evidence, but extra biblical evidence, guys, from like Tacitus. And, and, and Flavius Josephus, I mean, these guys who were historians that were not Christians, that wrote about Jesus and the apostles and the early church. And so the Bible itself is an, as an eyewitness to the supernatural. And number four, we need to understand that the supernatural was and is used by God to prove that God is real and that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, the apostles would travel all throughout the world 
and they would tell people about Jesus and then they would perform miracles to prove that what they were saying was true. That Jesus would um, do these things and then say, see my works point to me being who I say I am. They prove my testimony. And so if we were to say that the miracles didn't happen, then that means Jesus is a liar that the apostles are liars, and that the early historians are also liars. So what do we do with all of this? Well, what we need to look at is the fact that our big truth for today, and we're going to teach on this for a little bit, is that being suspicious of the supernatural helps me examine the evidence. Being suspicious of the supernatural helps me examine the evidence. We're not going to float to one side of the pendulum or the other, to one extreme or the other. We're not going to accept it blindly right? And just believe every single thing we hear and see. But we're also not going to go to the other extreme of cynicism and say that it's impossible. We're going to find that healthy skepticism in the middle that says, I believe that God can perform the miraculous, but I am skeptical and I want to examine the evidence because being suspicious of the supernatural helps me examine the evidence. And so I want to look at a passage today in the Gospel of John. If you've got your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And John shows a really powerful example of one of the many miracles Jesus performed. I love how at the end of the Gospel of John, John says that Jesus performed many other miracles that if they were to be written down, there are not enough books in the world to contain them. But John says that he chose specific ones to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. So we know that this is just one of many of a multitude of Jesus' miracles. And so hopefully by now you found John chapter 9, and I encourage you to follow along with me. It says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now there's two things we need to take note of right off the bat. First, this man had been born blind. He was an adult, he was begging, but he was well known. People would have known him in this community. He had been blind and begging for years. He had been blind his whole life. And people would have known him. This would have been a, a person who was known in the community. He's not just some random plant. He would have been somebody that people knew his parents, people knew his family, people knew you know, where he came from, where his home was, so they could examine the evidence. But the second thing we need to make sure we look at is we need to make sure that we look at the fact that the disciples are bringing in a theological concept that the Jewish people believed and the church even still falls into the trap of believing today is that if I sin, God's going to punish me. And once again, that's a half-truth. Because yes, there will be eternal punishment for our sins, but Jesus forgives us of those sins and takes that judgment away if we accept the free gift of salvation he offers. But we have this belief that if we do bad, we will receive bad. If we do good, we will receive good. And the problem is that's another half-truth. That yes, if I commit crimes, something's gonna, if I get arrested, I'm gonna go to jail, that's a bad thing, right? Because I did bad things. And oftentimes, if I do good things, I'm often rewarded. But not all the time. We see people do terrible things, illegal things, and they get rewarded, they get away with it, they become wealthy off of it, right? Or even legal things that are terrible, they work the system and mistreat people and abuse people 
you know, to, to get to what they want, to the positions of power, positions of, pro of prosperity that they want. You know, Solomon lamented over this in the book of Ecclesiastes that he saw evil people live long lives and they look happy. And I've also seen really, really amazingly kind and godly people have terrible things happen to them. So this is a half-truth, right? It's, it's a, a half-truth, man. It's a whole lie. And we um, look at this in the scripture and we see that this is something that they carried with them. And man, this is, this is something we even see in the, in the story of Job, right? Similar to this in the Gospel of John, that in Job's life, Job's friends end up, you know, talking. They want to know what sin did you commit that's causing God to punish you? You need to repent of that sin and confess it and, and get, and, you know, offer sacrifices for it so that so that this punishment will go away. But we know that, that Job was not being punished for something he did wrong. And so this is a half-truth, which is a whole lie. And look at what Jesus goes on to say to his disciples in John chapter 9 in verse 3. It says, It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now, this is a shaking theological concept that doesn't match up well. I don't like it, <laughs> but Jesus said it, so I have to go with it. I don't like the idea that God allows terrible things to happen so that his power can be shown. But that's what Jesus said. This happened. The man was born blind so the power of God could be seen in him. And this is a shaking thing to realize that God allows these things to happen in our lives so that he can prove who he is to us. Like I said, I don't like it, but that's what Jesus is, is telling us here. And he goes on to say, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Now, this miracle happens, but the reason I chose this miracle for us to look at today is as you read through the rest of the passage, and I encourage you to do that on, on your own, but I'm going to sum it up for the sake of time. There are many eyewitnesses to this miracle because people knew this man. The people in the community said, hey, isn't this the guy who used to beg, right? Don't we know him? Then the Pharisees confirm that this miracle happened. The religious leaders confirm it, and even the man's parents confirm it. So we have four groups of eyewitness testimony. We have the disciples, who John who wrote it down, right? He's the disciple who saw it with his own eyes. We have the religious leaders, we have the parents, and we have the testimony of the man. He goes on when he's he's brought before the religious leaders. He tells them, he says, you know, don't you know that this has never happened, that only God could do this? He says, but I know this. I was blind, but now I see. He's attesting to the miracle. There's eyewitness testimony. And when John wrote this, there would have still been eyewitnesses alive. And so when John wrote this, he knew that people could have gone back and tested the claim. And I love that because you see, just like we talked about, being suspicious of the supernatural helps us examine the evidence. And a lot of times I think people, skepticism gets a bad rap. We talk a lot about faith in the church. 
We talk a lot about believing, right? We, we look at the passage of Thomas where Thomas doubted Jesus' resurrection and Jesus says this, and he does say this. I, I, he says that you believe because you have seen, but blessed are those who, who believe and have not seen. But I think it's a flawed hermeneutic, it's a bad interpretation to say that because you're blessed because you haven't seen doesn't mean you shouldn't examine the evidence. I believe the reason why we have the Bible is it's meant to be evidence to testify to Jesus. That we don't need to just take everything on blind faith. We need to examine the evidence. So being suspicious of the supernatural, man, it helps us examine the evidence. We don't want to fall into cynicism and believe that nothing is possible, but we also don't want to accept it on blind faith either. And so as we look at this miracle, First of all, we see it is a miracle. This is not something that could be explained scientifically, right? Because mud doesn't heal people's blindness. If that's the case, doctors would be rubbing dirt on every blind person and getting them to see. This is supernatural. The next thing we see is that man, it is something that can be testified to with eyewitnesses. People could go back and see this. And we even have the skeptics that the, the, if anybody wanted this to be false, it would have been the religious leaders who hated Jesus. But they could not deny that the miracle happened. We've got the eyewitness of the man who lost everything. He gets kicked out of the synagogue. It means he's no longer part of the community. But he does it to stand up for the truth and the claim, the veracity, that obviously he believed it was true. If it was a lie... He, he would have he would have folded he would have said no nah, it was it was all fake I, i'm a sham I've, I've really been able to see this whole time i'm only doing this because jesus put me up to it because it cost him everything to be kicked out of the synagogue meant that you couldn't worship meant that you couldn't uh, you couldn't get your 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 sacrifices offered in the temple it means you couldn't be forgiven of your sins and so what we see is that man we end up with all of these things that point to Jesus is really being able to commit and perform these miracles. So as we look at this time and we look at the evidence of the scriptures, I want to encourage you, man, find that middle ground. Allow yourself to be able to not go to cynicism where you throw the baby out with the bathwater, but to also say, you know what? I'm not going to take it on blind faith. I'm going to examine the evidence. So I don't know where you are today, where you've been, that maybe you come from a faith tradition that says that miracles are absolutely not possible. Or maybe you come from a faith tradition that says that miracles happen all the time. I want to encourage you to say, you know what? Miracles are possible because the Bible attests to them. But I am going to be a skeptic that says, you know what, I want to examine the evidence. Because being suspicious of the supernatural helps me examine the evidence, it helps me divine truth from a lie. But it also shows me that God really does perform miracles in this day and age. As we get ready to close, I want to give one quick personal testimony of one of the things that really shaped me in this. You see, I, I told you I've been a skeptic since I was a kid. I've been to many situations where people have have claimed the supernatural. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'll believe it. You know, show me your evidence, right? I've seen too many things on television where people falsely, you know, were, were shams. They were they were lying about all of these things. And then come to find out, man, it really wasn't true. And they got exposed. But years ago, I was working in a hospital. 
and there was a gentleman that I was working the night shift and, and he was not able to sleep. And so he wanted to know if, if, if a chaplain would come and talk to him. And I just remember sitting in his room talking to him. And one of the things that um, happened to come about while he, you know, we were talking is I realized that he had a nerve disorder. He was in constant pain. He kept fidgeting. He kept shaking. He just couldn't find a comfortable place. And one of the things that happened uh, while we were talking is I just, you know, I said, man, I, just, I hate it for you. He had a nerve disorder where his, his nerves just were constantly firing and he was constantly in pain. And I asked him, I said, has, has anybody ever prayed over you and, you know, and, and asked if, if God would heal it? And he said, well, people have prayed for me, but nobody's ever like laid hands on me or anything like that and, and asked for, for, for God to heal me because it just seems so impossible. And I said, well, would you be willing to let me do that? And I said, I can't guarantee it because I'm not God, but I'm willing to ask because I believe he can do it. And I put my hands on this gentleman and I prayed in the name of Jesus that his nerves would be quieted down, that his sickness would be healed and that he would find his healing and peace and that God would do it. And he fell asleep, he passed out on me. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe he was just so tired he closed his eyes in prayer. And I left the room and didn't think much more of it. But the next morning, the doctors called me in and they wanted to know what happened because now he no longer has that nerve disorder and they couldn't explain it. You see, God performed that miracle in that man's life. There's no other explanation for it. And I firmly believe that the power of Jesus did that and that miracles still happen. Am I a skeptic? You better believe it. I'm suspicious. But one being suspicious of the supernatural helps me examine the evidence. And it pointed to a supernatural event that was undeniable and a miracle that God performed. So as we get ready to continue in this season, I pray that you would be willing to open your mind and your heart to be suspicious of the supernatural, to find that healthy skepticism, because being suspicious of the supernatural helps us properly examine the evidence. Be blessed.